Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anybody, really, who's interested in reinventing education. I'm Rob McLeod, and as always, joined by Brendan O'Leary. Hi, Rob. Hi, Brendan. So we're going to talk about a, another news story, and we're doing this because you and I have ended up needing to buy ourselves a little bit of time. So anyone who has been following the podcast knows we've been discussing these four different values, currently calling them compliance, ambition, sensitivity, and development, which are informing what school looks like these days. We did an episode on the quadrants, and you and I thought our next logical step is we'll talk about what health or healthiness or the good things look like within each of these different value systems and in the different quadrants we laid out. But you and I have now realized that this has been much more complicated than we initially thought. We've actually needed several weeks to unpack this for ourselves before we've been in a place to discuss this with listeners. Yeah, this potentially is, is the thesis or the, the big idea in the, in the whole podcast. We thought it was the four values moving towards these development schools. But to be able to do that, we kind of need to know, we've used the term baby and bathwater a lot. We need to know what those babies are that we want to keep that a development school would not want to lose from a healthy ambition, compliance, sensitivity school. Each one functions really well inside its particular context. And we have all of those contexts happening in 2019. So yeah, levels of kind of complexity of of how do we share that with people? We've got to get it sorted in our own minds. So we are digging deep and the hope is in the next few weeks, we'll be ready to start rolling that out. In the meantime, we'll just do some of these easy ones where we just basically pick a new story and we talk about it for like 20 minutes. Well, let's throw the softball between each other. For this week's story, we went back to CBC. This is something that they reported on in early January. And I picked this story because it was specifically this story was one that I saw all over my social media for a week or two, and not just between Canadian friends, because this story comes from Canada, school in Manitoba. But I saw people worldwide on Facebook sharing this story and and everybody enthusiastically in support of this. Mm. It's about uh, involving a movement corridor. We'll get into the specifics in a moment. It's all about having kids move, get physically active as they're moving through the hallway in the school. And what shocked me was everybody who was sharing this just said, this is what school needs to be. Oh, I wish that had been there when I was in school. And or like my child right now who is in school would benefit from this. So we got universal acclaim. And that, of course, just made it a magnet of a story where I just wanted to trash it and be a jerk and a devil's advocate and try to, to stomp all over this. Now, to be fair, I actually do really like this story, but I wanted to play a little bit of devil's advocate today with you looking at it from the different values. So the title of the article is Feeling Fidgety in Class, Go Stomp, Jump, or Hop Down This School's Sensory Hallway. So in many Canadian schools, phys ed class might be the only time other than recess that students are really getting a chance to move their bodies through the day. This essentially causes two main problems. One is, you know, this constant ongoing issue through the history of school of how do you get kids to just sit there, not fidget and do what you're asking them to do. I can feel my heart cringing inside just as I say that. But how do we deal with the fidgetiness of children. And at the same time, uh, how does this connect into the need for movement, physical activity, and physical health within our society? 
So the article starts off talking about how this was implemented in the school, what it looks like, and then it talks about how it's not just in school, it has larger social benefits to it. So the principal um, from Roland School, she said, this is our sensory pathway and in the article, and there is a great video. The video is the thing that I saw on social media, um, pointing out a colorful activity map on the floor of the school's main hallway. So there's footprints, there's essentially hopscotch-looking things, there's handprints on the wall that the students need to be able to touch, which you know forces them to do kind of squat-like movements and, and really get physically engaged. She said, we are very focused on making sure our kids are learning both numeracy and literacy, but also being mindful of their whole body's wellness and wellness as a whole being. So this pathway instructs them to do hopping, squats, push-ups, crawls. And the idea is that students follow the path every morning and after their lunch on their way into class. Now, this can also be used when some students are having a hard time focusing or if they've been fidgeting and some teachers can send students out and ask them, hey, would you like to spend a few minutes doing the sensory pathway and then return to the class? And from this very brief story, this has been positively received by all the students. In the video, the students say, yeah, this helps me focus. This helps me to calm down when I'm feeling stressed. So all around, this looks like a, a great idea. However, it's received universal acclaim in my social circle, but We've both you and I tried to play devil's advocate and think how each of our values might criticize this. And we've spoken to a few real live people who have also criticized this. So let's start with historically the first value we've been talking about, this compliance value, the far more traditional, you know, teacher is control in control. Everyone's doing their duty. Te you know, students must do what the teacher is asking of them. How would they respond to this, Brennan? Well, this is interesting because it seemed almost uh, so removed from the idea of school in this kind of uh, compliance paradigm that it was just a, a baffling puzzlement. And, I, and it was actually received fairly well from the people I spoke to in the sense of like their kids are exercising and this is something that like people just don't do enough of. And in the traditional mindset, you know, we do expect kids to move around a lot, though puzzlingly traditional school <laughs> would not have a lot of that in it. However, this was kind of a point of view is like kids moving around and exercising is a positive and it would look great when visitors come to visit the school. So that kind of like surface level kind of uh, what you see is what there is. This is awesome. The criticism was more of, I'm not sure if this has a place in school. Sure. I can see how some kids may be stressed. I can see how it might be helpful in some small instances, but generally maybe it should just be on the playground and the kids go out there and play with it. And that would be great for them. Uh, whether or not it has a place in school, Mm, I don't know. So it was somewhat ambivalent. There wasn't a particularly strong feeling, uh, but I also sense that it's not something that's coming in any time soon to a traditional school. And hallways are typically the place in a compliance-based school where you're really expected to demonstrate your self-restraint and you're supposed to walk in the hallways. You're supposed to be quiet in the hallways. You can run around and be crazy outside but the school building itself, the hallways, the classrooms, you know, the cafeteria space, whatever, you're supposed to be in control of yourself when you're in that building. To then allow that in the hallways, you can maybe be more active or possibly louder doing this, that's starting to maybe raise some concern for 
some compliance teachers who start to think, oh, that's getting a little too close to my classroom. You know, it's, yeah. it's, that silliness, that movement, that's, that's happening in the hallways. In my class, you're not supposed to be like that. A little suspicious there. But I agree. Uh, I think the criticism also with a compliance teacher might just be like, hey, it's one of the expectations that you're in control of yourself when you're in our classroom, when you're in the hallways. If you can't do that, we're not really going to provide you with an out here. That's just part of the, part of the role that you have. So compliance, potentially the most critical of this. Let's move up to the ambition value. How would ambition look at this? There seems to, we seem to have found the one easy answer that ambition will allow for anything if this. Yeah, the easy answer is that if you can tell them that this will relax the kids, focus the kids, and when they move into your classroom, they will be more on point, ready to work harder, and therefore get higher scores, we're on board with it. We don't necessarily, it was straw man in here as always, but we don't necessarily have too strong a feeling about this either way. It doesn't cost too much. If it provides the kids with a little bit more of a uh, blow off some steam and then come back in class ready to work hard, sure, let's go for it. Especially for some of those students who might struggle with the requirements of perhaps either sitting still or, or even just, you know, having too much energy in the classroom. If two or three minutes of doing this trades off and does allow this kid to do better on standardized tests, whatever, then that's an easily objectively measurable outcome from this. And if it works, it works. And I think an ambition school would likely embrace it. We've seen this in relaxation techniques used to uh, preempt tests. We've seen this of let's do breathing exercises, let's teach meditation and yoga, because if we do, the kids will be calmer. So when they do the work we assign them, they will be more focused and do a better job. And as true as it is, that may not be the main or the best holistic reason for doing breathing exercises and meditation and yoga. Yeah, it feels nefarious when you are actually using things like a sensory hallway like this or mindfulness meditation yoga for the sole purpose of essentially more compliance from the student or in order to extract better marks from them because you possibly your job your school's reputation your school's funding is behind that so here's where my criticism begins to come in and I would say my criticism comes more from the sensitivity value and connected to that point that you just brought up, that I'm all for this if the intention is to encourage more student movement and you know physical literacy they mention within the video version of this. I'm all for that. Any chance to bring in more movement and an authentic opportunity for kids to do this, I think that's great. I have a slight reservation that it's so prescriptive, like it is a series of specific steps. There isn't maybe necessarily so much freedom in the movement, but I'm still on board with it. Yeah. Where my criticism comes in is exactly what we were just talking about. When this is being used as a Band-Aid solution for a much deeper problem. And of yeah. course, a three-minute video highlighting the benefits of this isn't going to get into this, nor does the article specifically. That's where my concern starts to raise is these kids who are perhaps feeling stress in their bodies, these students who are fidgeting in their bodies as a response to the classroom 
culture, environment, the demands of it, that is part of physical literacy. If your environment is causing you stress, that's something that you should be, from a developmental mindset and possibly even a sensitivity mindset, that's something you should be tuning into and not trying mm. to like distract yourself from or like brush off. That's important information that maybe needs to be digested in a different way. And yeah. I, I think I'm strawmanning this a bit, but I would be concerned if the idea is, hey, we have this sensory hallway, kids aren't in accordance with what we're doing here, and it's causing physiological triggers within them. It's causing an authentic response, and we're denying that response by having them go get distracted and blow off the steam and just get back to a manageable level of stress. I don't think you'd find an adult on the planet who would say, oh yeah, well, that's what we're doing. Like it sounds horrible when worded that way. But that would be where my developmental mindset comes in to say, no, 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 no. We don't exclude a kid's physical response to what's going on in this room. Their somatic reaction to things gets brought into this and the embodiment of the classroom. This is important too. And it's not something that we need to just push away. That needs to be brought into consideration. I think you've dug in deep there and you, I agree with you entirely. And I think that, yeah, those, the two values you spoke about there of the compliance and ambition essentially both see this as a way to reinforce their kind of value and especially the ambition value that is the one that is pointed at for increasing this stress as with their heavy reliance on, um, on standardized testing and so on. The idea that this is to blow off steam so that you can get back on board. Yeah, that seems like this. <laughs> that's not even a band-aid because I think that when we get to the sensitivity, the positive is that, yeah, it will probably lead to a reduced stress in those moments and maybe have a little bit of, a, of an effect butterfly effect throughout the school especially if there's other um other ideas that also build on this kind of um slightly more holistic way of teaching and learning but the criticism i think even from a sensitivity teacher who saw this as a band-aid would be this isn't anywhere near far enough this looks at some of the symptoms and maybe it takes some of the symptoms of the stresses of an ambition-led system, but it does not deal with the root causes of the stress. And I think this is where the development school would then be able to or want to start to look at that more core issue. And a line you said earlier in the day when we had a little chat, I'm going to bring it up now. The body ain't a brain taxi. Mm -hmm. Love it. Given the development schools take a little more on this. All right. I don't know who originally said this, but I heard it through an embodiment teacher, Mark Walsh, uh, who's out of the UK, who I enjoy his work. And he often uses that line. It's actually the first line in his podcast that his podcast is for people who, who believe the body is more than just a brain taxi. And I think this highlights something that is changing as we move up the stages as we move up through these values in education, and that is our concept of who a person is, what a person is. And I think we see much more in the compliance and ambition values, this concept that the body really is just a brain taxi. And really, it's what these kids are doing inside their head 
that matters more than anything. And as long as their bodies aren't getting in the way of them doing what they're being asked to do or achieving what it is they need to do, then that's fine. And there's this artificial separation between mind and body of really, we're just here for the student's mind. And we'll say we're about the well-being of the whole student, but really anything else we talk about is just in service of, of their mind, essentially. Now, the trick here is when we talk about the body, our culture is a very disembodied society, and we are very much separating the mind and the body. We kind of think we have a body when usually when you get into the more developmental value kind of conversations, we talk about, oh, well, you are a mind and you are a body, or you have a mind and you have a body. Both are observable phenomenon. And we often talk about living too much in our heads. The flip side of that, you could say we don't live in our bodies enough to realize the actual feedback we're getting about our lives, not just through our thoughts and our reflections, but what's actually going on in the felt sense of being alive and what's actually like you as a body, what you're experiencing moment to moment. And we get disembodied from that. And that has a million horrible repercussions because if you're not feeling into the actual felt sense and you're detached from that, the extreme is you can go off and do horrific things in wars. Now that's one end of the spectrum. The other end is just like, you can really deaden yourself off in your life if you're completely out of touch with like the sensation level, the, the reaction level, the dynamic interplay of your physiology with your environment. And what a developmental school would want to do is, yes, we want you to have this incredibly rich mental experience and we want it grounded and rooted within your physical embodiment, your inhabitation of you as a body as well. And that's the, it's, it's like a sensitivity value starts to point us in that direction. And I think this article is pointing at that, but I think it's the first step in a much larger leap that's not largely reflected in our culture. So that's why our schools are, are this more disassociated, disembodied spot. The ultimate straw man is to say, school is a place where you're supposed to sit down and do your work, learn and think. Your body essentially gets divorced from that experience. And if anything, at least suppressed. And I think the further we move up these developmental values, we have a much wider sense of what it is to be a human. There's more stuff that's included in here. And I think the higher you go up, oddly enough, the body becomes more and more a critical component here. And it's not just a brain taxi. And it's not just something you do, you know, a workout to get better muscles, or it's not just something you do. It's not a, an accessory that you can decorate either. It's a living part of your intelligence as a human being. I think what you did there is you really dug into the sensitivity values concerns with this and brought it to a development level. And then the final step, I guess, is if this were a development school, what might we see happening instead of or alongside this sensory hallway? Yeah, and I think what you would start to see is a balance of two things. One is you would probably have some kind of practice or lineage or tradition brought in to teach that embodiment. And often you hear of things like the martial arts or some form of yoga or dance or some kind of improv or. Uh, free movement. And then you have also, to balance that out, the individual freedom 
of that individual student to explore their own physiology, their own somatic sense, their own emotional and physical interplays that are alive within them. So I think a development school makes space for both the wisdom of a pre-existing lineage and the space for personal inquiry and exploration. Yeah, and it may be that a tool so specific as the sensory hallway would no longer be needed in a school that was more developmental. Or it could be there just as, as, a, as an option, but it may be that it's not required because within your classroom, you're already inquiring into these areas. It may be that this idea of needing to blow off steam and wanting to go into a sensory corridor just to do that may actually be less necessary. But again, where it's all conjecture because we don't know if there is a development school out there that has actually managed to bypass the stress of the classroom and incorporate a, a, a real large amount of physical education time. Uh, there's always a big debate about how much time that should be, but the majority of schools do less than two to three hours a week of a 20, 25 hour schedule. Don't want to don't want to crap on this idea too much because it's a cool idea and the idea of sensory rooms, sensory hallways have been around a long time within uh, special needs and it's really cool to see that they are kind of making their way into the mainstream and I think that can only be a good thing. But that step one possibly and it would be great to see that continue and expand into more areas of the school physically and mentally. And to go back to my initial comment at the start of this podcast that everybody else is raving about it and saying, this must be what school is like. And I was bringing out my cynical side. Yes, of course, I would rather see this than to not see it in a school. But you just hit on the thing that I was feeling underneath that sentiment of, yes, this is awesome, but this is not the end. This isn't the final, you know, this isn't the problem solved here. This isn't we've figured out how to deal with stress and movement in schools. This to me is just pointing to the brand new rabbit hole that we need to go way further into in order to bring about a more holistic mind and body balance in what we do in school. Fantastic. And of course, this goes right into our idea of health, one aspect of the physical health, the mental health of the individuals. How does, how does one bring in that quadrants idea? How do we have healthy student, a healthy community and, and systems and protocols and actions that actually mean that that's continuing and maintaining itself for the good of all. Should we manage to be able to put that into some kind of word form? Uh, watch this space over the next few weeks. Or perhaps we turn it into an interpretive dance and show some of our physical literacy. I think so. That, that might just be the way to go. Brennan, thank you. Thank you, Rob. We hope this episode has been interesting. If you want to connect, we're on Twitter, or you can join our private Facebook group to searching Reinventing Education Podcast. Request, and we'll let you in. We're kind of building a community there. So far, it's kind of been sharing news stories that reinforce our narrative about the four values competing against one another in education. But let's see if we want to organize to do more than that there. Feel free to pass this episode on to others who give a damn about what's going on in education. From Brendan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of yours on what we're saying.